as Frank Sinatra sang, and now the end is near, for this year's beat campaign anyway. I'm pleased to say we do only just have one week left to go, and uh, I expect that our final deliveries will be received literally this time next week. Yes, Nick Morris will update us from British Sugar, with attention already turning to next year's campaign. That's right, yeah, we'll uh, put this one to bed in uh, in a week's time, and then we'll certainly be putting the new crop in the ground, so seamless transition. Also this week, Guy Geishan, the NFU's chief arable advisor, on lobbying government over a lack of actives. Farmers have got a fantastic story to tell uh, in this country and it's a real shame that the issues often get clouded by organisations that have a different agenda to to farmers. Mm. Sunday, February 19th, 2017. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. Just over a week to go to the end of February and exactly a week to go to the end of this year's BEAT campaign. Earlier this week, the British Beach Research Organisation held its winter technical events at Willytown near Newmarket and at the New York Showground as well. More on what was discussed there in a moment. First, the latest as the campaign comes to an end from Nick Morris at British Sugar. Morning, Sean. What's, uh, what is the latest then of the penultimate week, I guess? Well, that's right, we are getting there. After 138 days we've been going now with this year's Sugar, Sugar Beet campaign, I'm pleased to say we do only just have one week left to go and uh, I expect that our final deliveries will be received literally this time next week uh, if all goes to plan. Uh, factory throughput, though, uh, it has been a little bit unsettled over the last week. Um, we had one main challenge, really, which uh, it's, it's probably uh, technical jargon, but we have uh, cassette screens at the bottom of our diffuser. Unfortunately, we experienced a problem with one of those on, uh, on Wednesday, so actually we lost about 12 hours of production while we uh, made those repairs. But we got through that, and we're back up and running and processing at full throughput now. So... Uh, average performance to date, that leaves us at uh, 9,200 tonnes a day. So it's slightly under where we'd hoped it to be for the campaign, by about 100 tonnes a day, but uh, but not, not too bad overall. So we're uh, hoping for a settled run throughout the final, uh, the final week. Quality of the crop remains uh, still very good this campaign. Apart from an odd exception, we really haven't seen any deterioration in the field or in storage clamps, which has been really, really pleasing and uh, the best I've seen for the last, uh, the last three years, really. Uh, We've now received over 46,000 loads to date with an average dirt tear of 6.2%. Sugar content is now averaging 17.18% for the campaign and that is ever so slightly down uh, from two weeks ago and in fact you'll remember me talking about in my last report how sugar content has been a little bit up and down over the last four weeks and and that has continued uh, to be the case. Not necessarily usual, I think it's probably down to... Uh, the the sporadic rain showers we've been receiving, um, but that continues to be a little bit erratic. Um, we've now got over 400 contracts that have finished delivering their crop for the season. Overall yield is now over 70 tonnes a hectare, which is around where I think it will uh, it will finish up for the campaign. And as I've reported before, this really is a fantastic result following the uh, difficult growing season we've experienced and everything that Mother Nature handed to us. Yeah, she does like to throw things in uh, in your way, doesn't she? Uh, now, of course, uh, on Thursday, Thursday morning, it was the uh, BBRO um, sort of winter technical meeting. How did that go? That's right, yeah. It was a uh, fantastic morning, actually, and I think... I haven't seen final uh, attendance numbers, but I believe there was over 200 people there and a significant amount of growers existing and indeed uh, new growers. And it was a uh, fantastic um, event put on by the British Beat Research Organisation, really talking about the main themes and topics they've been working on over the last 12 months. 
Um, there was actually uh, four presentations from University of Nottingham PhD students on a variety of uh, topics, which was really was quite excellent. Um, and there was quite an interesting piece on some work which is just about to start taking place um, by Professor Neil, uh, Professor Neil Crute from the University of Nottingham on benchmarking of sugar beets. This is all around production yields and uh, costs against the, the, the theoretical potential. So that's going to be really quite exciting to see that evolve. And uh, another fantastic presentation was from Dr Simon Bowen on uh, maximising uh, the yield of sugar beet through improved crop recovery. So some quite useful insights there. So hopefully everybody that attended found it very interesting and inspired with some uh, thoughts and ideas on what to consider for next year's crop. Yeah, that's it, because of course we now move into thinking about next year already, don't we? One week left to go of this one. That's right, yeah, we'll uh, put this one to bed in uh, in a week's time and then literally the following week, if conditions uh, prevail with the right soil temperatures and a, a little bit of warmth, then uh, we'll certainly be putting the new crop in the ground. So, seamless transition. <laughs> All right, well, we'll speak to you in a couple of weeks and find out how the campaign has, uh, has ended then. Excellent. Thank you, Sean. Nick Morris of British Sugar, back, as he says, in a fortnight. Last week on the programme, we heard from Alison Pratt of the NFU discussing the ongoing problems for poultry farmers with avian flu still very much a real threat. She mentioned how they're constantly in discussion with Europe, especially concerns for free-range producers at the moment. Well, that's just one of many conversations taking place, not just with Europe, but with our own government, especially with Article 50 about to be triggered. One man who's making the case for the arable industry, focusing particularly on actives, or, or the lack of them, is Guy Gaijan, the NFU's chief arable advisor. He's been speaking with Andrew Ward. Guy, what does your job really entail? You've been there since, what, 2005, is it? So you've, you've uh, got your feet well under the table. Yeah, I guess the simplest way to describe it is I translate our members' needs into the language of policymakers or commercial companies or the science community and try and help bridge that gap between what farmers are struggling with on their farm businesses mm. and what policymakers might be able to do to help or to get out of the way uh, at their end. Also, some of the commercial issues and hiccups that, that go yeah. on. How can we improve relationships in the supply chain or how can we... Break, fix what probably many see as a broken uh, research uh, pipeline yep. where you don't see the blue sky discoveries making it down to the farm level and the farm level ideas making it back into the blue sky research yep. um, that, that disconnected and, and isn't working as well as it should. And did you get into Europe quite a bit? Into Brussels? We work very hard because Brussels is where most mm-hmm. of the regulation comes yes. from and most of the new ideas and a lot of the science and research funding comes from Europe and it's very important that we're involved there. So we worked quite hard, for example, with something called Horizon 2020, which is yeah. a Europe, Europe-wide research funding platform. And we made sure that, uh, for example, mycotoxins, which is a problem that yeah. can occur uh, from too much fungus in wheat, can, can cause a problem uh, for the quality of the grain, too many contaminants, you can't use it for flour milling. Um, well, we said to the European Union, well, if you think it's such a problem, you have to regulate it, then it's probably a strategic problem for Europe and you should put research funding into it. Mm-hmm. And that was something that resonated with them. And they did put you know, several millions of uh, euros into, into a call mm-hmm. for research to do that. And that now, I'm happy to say, that research is underway. We'll do, you say, do you say the government uh, listened to you enough? Obviously, you know, we're losing actives quite a lot at the moment and you put our case forward you know, as much as you can. Do you think they, they listen to you enough? Do they, is there enough collaboration between all the parties? Well, probably no trade association or NGO will ever say that the government listens to them enough. Um, but we, we do have to find new ways to make sure they, they mm. find it easy to listen. And if they're presented with uh, you know, a mixture of evidence and public opinion, and the, the total weight of public opinion appears to be on one side 
and our members and our farmers are not active in explaining why they need access mm. to a technology or some change in legislation, uh, then it's very easy for politicians to say, well, the science is all very interesting, but frankly we need uh, a little bit more on the public opinion side and why farmers need this change. Mm. When, when they're silent, we can't really do anything from that. So we, we also encourage our own members to get more involved as activists and explain yeah. their needs, both to the public and to the politicians. I'm going to say it's the, it's the public is very important, isn't it? Getting our story across to the public and sort of uh, making them understand and realise that we're not trying to poison, we care for the environment and wildlife, and it's a very important part of our work. Farmers have got a fantastic story to tell uh, in this country, and it's a real shame that the issues often get clouded by organisations that have a different agenda to, to farmers mm. um, and, and try and paint farming as, as some, in some way destructive when uh, ev everyone that drives into the countryside can patently see it's absolutely abundant with wildlife um, and it's flourishing uh, habitat for, for you know, native species of, of bees and, yes. uh, and the water is clean generally. Um, we need to you know, obviously always improve the the performance of farming, but mm. at the same time, you know, it is not the, the, the environmental desert that's often no. painted, and we need we need to sort of just let farmers tell their story, and find yeah. ways and find means for them to do that. Yeah, every opportunity. Yes, that's right. I, I understand, and I, I really sort of believe that's right. Just sort of lastly, going forward, do you think uh, importance-wise, legislation is going to be more important, or have more of a say, or uh, producing food, which you think is more important going forward? Because obviously, one is going to interact and, and counteract the other. Well, as farming businesses, I think most of our members would be very supportive of the idea of regulation and, mm. and legislation. In fact, quite a lot of the time, it's the NFU asking for new legislation, yeah. whether it's food labelling or, or other, other areas. Um, however, when regulation becomes onerous and actually stifles innovation, then we've got a problem. Mm. Um, and I think some of the legislation that we operate under happens to come from the European Union, but you know, some of it could also come from our own government in the UK is stifling that innovation and, and we need to sort of rebalance that a little bit so that yeah. there is the incentive to bring the science I was talking about earlier uh, to bear to solve farmers' problems. But if the, if the science is shut out by regulation and, and uh, the, the perception of public opinion being against it, then science will, will go and find other places to apply itself and mm. it won't be interested in farming's problems. NFU Chief Arable Advisor Guy Gaijan of the NFU. And among the many issues on his agenda is the lack of actives, something I know our agronomist Sean Sparling has concerns over as well. Yes, morning, Sean. I'm very aware of how emotive this subject is, but it is a very, very real threat to agriculture in general. Um, what people have to understand that the plant protection products we use are used for a reason, whether they be insecticides, herbicides, fungicides, whether it be glyphosate, which to be fair is the potential for losing that is under a completely different agenda to what's going on with fungicides, insecticides, etc. Um, but even if we were to apply a thousand times the dose of the products we use in agriculture today, it doesn't pose any threat to any living person over the course of an entire lifetime. In fact, you take in more toxins and dangerous things in one cup of coffee than you do from all of the plant protection residues in food that you would imbibe over the course of a, an entire year. So this is not about a human health issue. This is all about a legislative issue. They are changing the way they look at things from risk to hazard. Everything is hazardous. Water, sunshine, um, everything, alcohol, caffeine, nicotine, everything is dangerous and hazardous. But it's the way we deal with it and the way we manage the risk which keeps them safe to us as human beings. Um, you could liken it to paracetamol. You could have eight a day for headaches and that would be fine, perfectly safe for you. If you took 500 a day, it would probably kill you. So the paracetamol being the hazard 
your exposure to it, i.e. the dose being the risk, what you don't do is just say paracetamol are hazardous, let's ban paracetamol. And that's where we are. Now, if we lose 80% of fungicides, that has a massive impact because the only reason that we are so privileged today to have such an extended life expectancy, much better than it was even 40 years ago, is because of the use of plant protection products. The reason we have a sustainable agricultural industry and we can produce safe, wholesome, well-priced and affordable food with guaranteed supply is because of plant protection products. And if you remove them, well, it's an obvious thing that happens. You start to lose yield. That means the price will go up in the shop through supply and demand and I can guarantee you the farmer won't see any of that price increase that will be through the supermarkets and and vendors making the money out of it and stocks will not be quite as guaranteed the surety of supply becomes far less secure so you know natural toxins kill hundreds of thousands of people every year nobody has ever died as a result of the correct use of plant protection products it's very important you understand that i mean you could get carried away with well i'm eating food it's got plant protection residues in it the the levels are minimal and yet you'll happily go out and eat mushrooms and burnt toast and peanuts which are full of natural toxins we've got lectins in kidney beans that will kill you if you don't soak them for 24 hours patulins that grow on the mold in apples are lethal to us glycoalkaloids the green bits on potatoes very dangerous for us you couple that to e coli botulism salmonella mycotoxins in the grain that we control with fungicides to stop them getting into bread which pose a threat to us if we take that fungicide away the mycotoxins are thousands of times more dangerous to human health so you need to understand that everything needs to get put in perspective what we use in agriculture is safe for the environment it is safe for us as humans and it poses absolutely no threat to our human Human health. So let's just move on to agronomy then, rant over. Uh, let's start with oilseed rape. Not a lot of change on last week. The light leaf spots got no worse. We've had some strange weather. We've had wet, we've had very cold, we've had quite mild double figures, and that's typical of February really. It's usually March many weathers and February fill dike. Well, we've certainly had the dikes filled. And that leads me on to something else because I can already hear people shouting in the background, well, it's nearly the 20th of February. We ought to be getting on doing things. And that's fair enough but you should never, ever farm by calendar date. Go by soil conditions, go by day conditions and temperate conditions. Because um, if you go putting nitrogen and sulphur on an all-seed rape crop today, with soils as wet as they are, and bearing in mind it is a non-compliance to travel on waterlogged land at any time of the year, if you put it on and it stays cold and wet for the next three weeks, that nitrogen and sulphur will both leach through the profile and into the watercourse. And I don't know a single farmer who can afford to throw money down the drain, which is exactly where your nitrogen will go if you put it on in wet conditions like this. Winter wheat, a lot of septoria out there. Um, but again, just like oilseed rape, little point in putting a fungicide on when you've got soil temperatures below four uh, and active growth is non-existent. It's too cold in oilseed rape, by the way, to go putting things like galera on for cleaver control. Way too cold for that. And it's way too cold for your T0. Um, and don't be persuaded to put a T0 minus one on because you won't gain anything at all from doing that. Uh, slowly, slowly, catchy monkey is the phrase you should abide by over the course of the next week or two. Thank you, Sean. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. On to our weekly update from Open Field then, and it's Tom Miller this week. Good morning. How's uh, how's things looking? Uh, a quiet week, really. Half term, um, wasn't it? So, half term, yeah. yeah. So uh, many traders away from their desks. 
which makes trading difficult, thin volumes on the buy side and the sell side, really. Um, but U.S. wheat futures, uh, they continue to rally midweek on the back of technical charts, selling fund buying, but nothing new in the way of fresh fundamental bullish news. Um, but the, the Chicago futures did turn negative towards the end of the week. Funds remain short in the background of supportive technicals and banks and institutions talking about commodities being underpriced in a growing inflationary sense. The world has plenty of supply, but Chicago has a history of ignoring fundamentals and the funds are lowering themselves. Uh, there's money flowing into commodities currently and that makes it even more difficult to separate fundamental price moves from technical moves. So the USDA report, which came out last Friday, uh, not Friday, just gone the Friday before, um, that was rather uninspiring. US wheat markets got excited due to prediction of smaller end-season surplus on increased exports. Having said that, um, the US is increasingly pricing itself out of export business against the backdrop of Russian cash prices falling for the first time in weeks and continues to be the world's cheapest supply of quality wheats. Um, they also filled with the wheat production numbers dropping a to- dropping total tonnes from 752 million down to 748 million tonnes. So it's nothing major, but again, uh, they dropped Indian and Russian end season stock numbers. Um, so all of that is not particularly bullish, but it's not bearish either. Um, and with the funds being short, it triggered a round of uh, fund short covering to trim the positions. The UK market remains well supportive, uh, but again in a narrow range. Um, despite recent sterling strength, which has done the required job of cutting exports. Um, Talk of imported wheat and maize is noted, although it's difficult to determine if it's happening or not in any volume or being used as a stick to beat the market down with, um, which there's a two-month lag in official import and export data, so that doesn't make it any clearer. Uh, On paper, it remains potentially tight, depending on your view on ethanol usage, uh, imports, carry-in, carry-out, etc., and any surplus deficit may not manifest itself until later in the campaign. Um, So let's have a quick look at prices. Spot feed wheat is worth 144 to 145x. May 147 to 148. November 17 is 132 to 135x. And nearby Group 1 milling premiums for old crop are poor at 3 to 6 over feed. Feed barley is 118 to 120x. May 122 to 124. Harvest barley is 108 to 110. And November 17, 111 to 114. Rape seeds are quite weak again, same as the wheat and other commodities. Markets drifting on the back of on, on the back of firmer sterling, uh, growing global soybean supplies, and a lack of domestic rapeseed buyers. Um, also adding to the weakness in the UK is uh, uh, sorry, fifty six thousand tons of Australian canola on its way to Europe, which is supposed to be arriving at the end of February, uh, and another one rumoured to be on its way. So price is currently sitting at three hundred and fifty x for spot movement, three fifty two to three fifty four for May. Harvest is worth 315 to 317 with an 8 to 10 pound carry through to November. Feed beans, uh, the market seems to have found a level, showing no signs of weakness as yet. Growers with perceived quality are still holding out for a premium. Um, currently no export or domestic market for quality beans. Um, and as time ticks on, it's getting more and more unlikely uh, that we'll get any more business to the to Egypt for the export market. Therefore, quality beans will have to be put into the feed heap, um, although the price now is the same as what um, human consumption beans were worth pre-Christmas. Feed beans are worth 160 to 264x for March-April, plus pound a month carry. Thank you. Tom Miller open field. Last month on the programme, you might remember, while at Lama, I heard from Enterprise Ireland, hoping to expand into the UK, thanks in part to Brexit. 
One such company hoping to take advantage and become a bigger name in the UK is Herdwatch. It's a new app which, despite its name, is aimed at arable farmers as well as those with herds. James Grevy is one of those behind the app. Herdwatch is a farm management app that allows farmers to record their farm events as they happen on their smartphone, tablet or PC anytime, anywhere. So it allows kind of beef and sheep and tailored arable farmers to record and dairy farmers as well to record all like their farm events, like particularly their farm compliance events. So say for example like their medicines use for cross compliance or quality assurance or pesticide use for for cross compliance as well, like or um, breeding records. Uh, calf registrations, all your data kind of paperwork. And the way the app works is that it actually eliminates all the kind of paperwork because it's a cloud-based app, which means that you can have it across multiple devices. So if there's a few people working on your farm, they can all have Herdwatch on their phones, but also the app works offline. So you're not dependent on needing like 3G or Wi-Fi to, to record information or to look stuff up. So you have all your information there and then. And essentially when you want to record something then, you just take out your phone, put record it there and then, and you're immediately compliant. So it's just a case way that kind of that headache would got to do with compliance and a bit of um, the double recording that most people have to do because most farmers would generally record in a notebook and then come back and record in their software later on at night and it's just it's not you know it's a non-runner anymore I mean, as you say you know the old days of wandering around with scraps of paper or a notebook and having to fill it in and then get back to the farm and, and do all that it's long gone this, this is time saving as well as more efficient isn't it yeah well guys are too busy to be doing that so yeah. the beauty of a service like this, service like this is it allows you to actually take that compliance information that was kind of previously laborious and time-consuming and actually make it useful. Because you can actually go onto an animal's profile and you can say, oh, this cow's actually got injected twice for being lame. And I can see she's also got served three times this year as well. So I know, like, okay, this is not, this, I'm not keeping her, I'm not keeping her heifer. So it allows you to bring all that information together and actually get a more holistic view of all this, all this stuff and just, like, just save time. So, um, like, on average, like, you're looking at saving two hours a week just in, just in farm paperwork, like just on paperwork side of things that's it's you know it's a big saving over the course of the year like you say it's been very successful in Ireland so now the UK seems the, the, the most natural expansion of it yeah it's, it's a natural progression like it's um, they're very similar in their problems as well like they have a lot more so paperwork because the farms are actually bigger here so it's just more paperwork in general and you know it's usually the same amount of staff to do it like so the feedback we've got so far we've, we've over 100 guys using Herdwatch in the UK at the moment and the feedback we're getting is fantastic like we're just I suppose we're here to try and learn as much as possible so I can a lot of particular early adopters realise that it's kind of investment in, in Herdwatch as well as for themselves. James Grevy there from Herdwatch, not just for herd farmers making the most of technology now at our fingertips. It's worth reminding you, of course, you can uh, search for us as well and get your uh, mobile app. Just look for the station and uh, you'll be able to download the app. And uh, on the left-hand side of the app itself, you'll also get uh, the menu there where the uh, podcast of the farming programme will be delivered straight to your phone each and every week. Well, if we're talking about one app, we may as well talk about another one that's useful as well. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Yes, let's uh, take a look at the week in store then. And uh, a mild week, it's uh, fair to say. Temperatures today peaking at 11 Celsius. Some early sunshine, but it will cloud over. We're looking at winds from the west-northwest at about 15 miles an hour. Overnight tonight, staying mild, 7 or 8 the low. Still cloudy, possibility of a shower or two in places first thing tomorrow morning. The wind still from the west-southwest at 10, maybe gusting at 20, 25 miles an hour. And then that wind will increase a little bit uh, through tomorrow itself. Still from the west, generally 15, gusting at 30 for a time though. Highs tomorrow though, fairly warm, 14 Celsius the high. Staying cloudy and again some showers possible come uh, late afternoon, early evening. 
Monday into Tuesday, those showers, but uh, most places will be dry by first thing Tuesday morning. We're looking at lows of around 8 Celsius. That wind still from the west, generally 10 miles an hour. The august of 30 miles an hour, though, first thing on Tuesday morning. And then Tuesday itself, a day of sunshine and showers, 13 Celsius the high. The wind from the west, southwest, 10, gusting at 15 miles an hour. Tuesday into Wednesday, that wind getting up again, still from the west-southwest, 20, maybe gusting at 40 miles an hour, overnight lows of 10 Celsius, and the possibility of some heavy rain first thing on Wednesday morning. And then Wednesday itself, once that uh, band of heavy rain has uh, swept across, it should be dry, mostly overcast, looking at highs of about 9 Celsius, that wind still prominent from the west, 25 to 40 miles an hour. And then for the latter end of the week, well, again, the possibility of some rain, certainly staying overcast. We're looking at temperatures of maybe 11 or 12 Celsius. It will be particularly windy, though, from the southwest. Gusts of maybe 50, 55 miles an hour Thursday and Friday at the moment. Overnight lows generally around 4 Celsius, and indeed things may well cool down a little bit as we get towards the latter end of the week. We'll update you with the hourly forecast as ever. But for now, that is the forecast for this coming week. Next week on the programme, we preview the Lincolnshire Farming Conference, plus, of course, the rest of the week in agriculture as well. The podcast will be available, as I say, as ever, online and uh, on the app from tomorrow. Until next Sunday, have a good week's farming.